All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuckleberry thins? What the fuckaholics? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my uh, podcast, WTF. Welcome to the show. I hope your uh, your day's going okay. If you're listening, you know early. I hope it's I hope it's not screwed up already. Let's turn it around. It's my little positive thinking pitch. Come on. You know what they say? You can start your day over at any time. Maybe it's been a rough eight minutes. <laughs> maybe maybe it was a difficult walk to the kitchen to make coffee in your head. Let's turn it around. If you're at the gym, keep going. If you're on the train, all right, just don't 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 sit next to someone who's coughing too much. I don't know, folks. Is everybody all right? Got a little bit of a doubleheader today. Well, we get, we're going to talk to uh, Brett Gelman, the very funny and inspired and uh, slightly disturbing at times. Brett Gelman, big fan of his. He's going to be here for a minute to talk about his uh, his new thing. He's got a thing. He's got this thing uh, on Adult Swim called uh, Dinner in America uh, that airs uh, July 1st at midnight. It's uh, it's something, man. It is. Uh, it's a it's a mind blower. No doubt. Then after that, we're going to talk to John C. Riley about stuff. He's got his uh, Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule, which is uh, currently in its fourth season, also on Adult Swim. Riley, you know, he don't he don't talk much long form. This was an exciting thing, and uh, I didn't know where it was going to go, but it went. So look forward to that shortly. Before I, I do want to get some things out of the way. Uh, well, not out of the way. I, I want to thank you guys. You know, I want to thank everyone who donated to the Electronic Frontier Foundation this month after hearing me talk about it on the show. I mentioned that we would be matching any donations made by WTF listeners up to $5,000. And you guys hit that amount in a week. In a week. They're still taking donations for the rest of June. That's EFF.org slash WTF. Thanks again to everyone who supported them and everyone who still plans on supporting them. The EFF is a defender of podcasting against patent trolls, and your dollars help them do that, uh, alongside of all the other stuff they do to uh, fight the good fight. That's uh, EFF.org slash WTF. Go to WTFpod.com slash tour. I got tour dates coming up. I'd like you to come. Spokane. Uh, I'm doing, you know, full-on... Five shows, man. Seven, eight, and nine. Spokane Comedy Club. Right? Yeah. Wise Guys, Salt Lake City. 14, 15, 16. Yeah. Real deal. Five shows. Comedy Attic. Bloomington, Indiana. July 28, 29, 30. Five shows, man. Doing the real work. Stand Up Live. Phoenix, August 18, 19, 20. All right? Yeah. I'll be in Albuquerque for one night in September on the 3rd doing a benefit at the Albuquerque Journal Theater. Comedy Club in Rochester, New York, September 9th and 10th. I guess that's a four-show run. That's all that's up now. There will be more coming. I'm at the Ice House here in Pasadena on July 3rd, but I believe that is sold out. Chris Garcia is going to join me for that one. Got one more show at the Tripany tomorrow night. Those things, I've covered a lot of ground. Uh, Not quite... uh, all coming together, but I'm doing it. Let me get you up to speed on a couple of things, folks. Uh, you know, the uh, UK pulled out of the EU. And, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know the nuances of a lot of this, but my first feeling, being an American and watching that from afar, 
in relation to what's going on here with this election. My first feeling when I read the news, I didn't watch it, I read it on the computer sometimes. When that happened, my gut feeling was I think the same feeling that Michael Corleone had when he was visiting Cuba and he was in that car and it stopped and he watched a police uh, altercation with some uh, Cuban revolutionaries and one of the guys blew himself up with a grenade. I believe took out a couple of cops. That's how, as an American, facing the election we're facing, that was what came to mind when I heard about the vote in the UK in relation to the Trump candidacy was not unlike what Michael Corleone told Hyman Roth, played by the late Lee Strasberg, about what he saw. And Hyman Roth said, what does that mean to you? I'm paraphrasing. He goes, means they could win. Means they could win. Do you hear me, America? Behave properly. Do what's right. Not right wing. Do what's the best in this situation for America. But uh, heed the warning. Heed the warning. You remember what happened in Cuba back in the day. Also, I'd like to give a little update on the AT&T versus Marin situation. Look, it was never a fight. It was just my passionate and uh, slightly aggravated demand that uh, they get their noise out of my shit. And I got to be honest with you. Look, I know some of you are like, well, you get, you got a platform. I can't get that done. Yes, I do. I worked a long time for this to work out. And I, and I, and I'm happy that I don't have a boss and that, you know, I'm not, you know, owned by Verizon. I'm not working, you know, under the auspices of anything. I have no corporation on top of me dictating what I can and can't do. I choose my own sponsors. I can say whatever I want and I will, you know, obviously, you know, there could be repercussions depending on what I say. And believe me, I was scared. I was scared when I started talking about renting my new office and picking up all these frequencies on my stereo equipment in that office, being concerned about my health, but more concerned about my ability to listen to records because I'm, uh, I guess these are very, very much luxury problems, but I wanted to have the space clean of the hum and the buzz and the and it's been going on for months you know there's been people that have come there's been people that have assessed there's been people that you know from AT&T that have uh, that have uh, monitored and you know troubleshot and I thought we figured out what it was and then it just went dead for a while silence silence not the sound but my uh, my cries for for justice and help and then I guess, uh, I don't know, they must have heard this or someone within the company, but, you know, heard something. They sent these two dudes over, young guys, hipster dudes that, you know, seem like like-minded folks that were kind of, they were subcontractors. They were excited by the problem. This was something I, I was very thrilled about in a way that they, they do this type of work. I mean, the challenge was, how do we get up on the roof and figure out a way to stop these waves from getting into this office right under the equipment? And uh, they told me, I, I, apparently I misspoke, you know, because I mentioned the heritage box and, and apparently they were like, uh, what are you telling them what it is for? It's, uh, what is a heritage box? It's a heritage frequency. 
So I want to make that clear. That was uh, causing the trouble, a heritage frequency, 700 something. But anyways, these guys saw this. They were excited about the job because it was problem solving. And I guess they got up there and they laid down some copper mesh all around the shit, soldered it down. And folks, the noise is gone. The waves have been stopped. My mind is protected by a fine copper screen above me. Yes, that is my spirituality right now. I'm protected by the copper mesh. And believe me, the liability of talking about this stuff. Look, I didn't know if I was going to be Michael Clayton by middle management at at and Obviously, you know, that's a dark and horrible scenario, but I, I don't know what my life is worth when you become an annoyance to one of the world's biggest corporations. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fix that buzz. Podcaster Mark Marin uh, seems to have disappeared today. Friends and family have no idea of his whereabouts. There's been no communication and no podcasts. We do know he was having a problem in his office with a slight buzz on his stereo equipment from AT&T. That's the last we heard of him. Obviously, I'm kidding. But I want to thank AT&T for uh, due diligence and fixing the problem. Okay? So, Brett Gelman. Brett Gelman has created something that is very provocative. It's very violent. It's very funny. It's very dark. Uh, it's very pointed. Uh, deals with um, the topic of racism. And it's like nothing you've seen before. I, I will tell you that right now. And uh, it is premiering on July 1st at midnight, Brett Gelman's Dinner in America on Adult Swim. And I talked to Mr. Gelman about this project. This is two white liberal Jewish guys talking about racism. Prepare yourself. Because that doesn't always go well. So, Brett. Yeah. What are you what are you doing? What are you trying to do? <laughs> what am I trying to do, man? I mean, I'm I I'm making art. I'm making art. What I you? you know, I I you know, I watched it. I watched what you put me through. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm flattered that you watched it. I watched it with uh, my girlfriend who's very sensitive to uh blood. Yes. Violence. Yes. And uh, she got through it uh, because good, we knew good. it. Uh, it wasn't necessarily real. Now, right. this is very. This is very. Um, I would call it violent satire. Yeah, I would. Uh, it's hard for me to label sometimes. What it's uh, hard for me to label it as well. What you you type of fellas do you and the Tim and Eric's of the world and the Eric Andres? I don't know what, what you're doing to us. You're fucking with our heads, Brett. Well, I uh, you know I guess it's like theater of the absurd, you know, in a way. I don't sure. know. Sure, uh, no, I think so. And uh, I mean, I'm really influenced by a lot of hardcore playwright guys, yeah, as like well who? as filmmakers. You know, like uh, uh, I mean, you know, I love my uh, I love my Beckett and my, oh yeah, my Sam Shepard sure. and my Harold Pinter. And, How about some I mean, Ionesco? Any Ionesco? Of course, of sure. course. You sure. know, uh, I love. I mean, Albie. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah, he he definitely creeped into that realm and uh, you know there's a type of uh, uh, of satire and a type of theater and type of movie where where 
the violence is it goes beyond gratuitous into hilarious. Yeah, like oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like Lynch. You know, like right. Lynch is a huge influence of mine. And is uh, he? Yeah, and like I love people. I mean, not that these guys necessarily go hilarious, but uh, Monty Python they sometimes. Do. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and then you know, uh, and Mel Brooks. You know, I mean, yeah. Mel Brooks is sure. is Dancing, uh, very Dancing fun Nazis. theater of the absurd. Yeah, you know, a lot of the time and. Uh, and, you know, I mean, people like Michael Haneke and like Lars von Trier, you know, which sure. are not, which I, I will argue that there are points in their films that are funny. Of course. <laughs> but, now, but, uh, but you take on, you're like, you're basically this one is about um, liberal guilt driven behavior. I, well, I'm, I'm married to a black woman. Yeah. I have always. Uh, so she's your check. You know, I've I, been I, I, interested. You have to check it through with her. Like this is what we're. Gonna I do. definitely showed her the script. Yeah, I was like, "How how does this all pan out?" You know, I mean, I'm writing for. Uh, could you uh, could you okay this on behalf of blacks everywhere? <laughs> I mean, I definitely you know I I I won't say who, but I, I sent the special. We were looking for a place to air the premiere, you mm -hmm. know, and I sent it to this place, this certain place that is uh, that is run by uh, by black people, and uh, and they. They said, no, we will not screen this here. And I definitely think that they might think that I'm a racist. Uh, and wait, I, I, wait, I'm, wait, how, why does the place have to be a mystery? I'm just stretching my imagination where you had to seek out a oh, place. Oh, it's a museum, you know. Oh, uh, I thought it was I don't maybe wanna, a... Uh, I mean, uh, there, it's an incredible museum. It's, it's not it's Roscoe's? Called, uh, no, <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, it's the Underground Museum, which oh. is uh, this place like by West Adams and stuff like that. that uh, oh, right, right. Okay. And, uh, you know, I really, they, you know, they, they're the whole concept of their museum yeah. is that, you know, people of color don't really get shown their work doesn't really get shown in museums, you know, for the most part, it's mostly a, a white male. So endeavor. Do you, sh you showed them so the, the, I was the like, cut? I'd like to screen this here. Yeah. I showed them the cut and they were like, we don't uh, think that satire should enter race. And then I wrote them back and I said, you know, I hope you don't think that I think that this is, that this issue is funny. Uh, and I think did they lot, not see bamboozled? Um, they I'm sure they did, but that's made by a black filmmaker, right? It's okay. not a white. It's not two white guys. Did you tell me you're married to a black woman? I did not. <laughs> I did not. No. Hey, no. let's wait. Let's think this through, <laughs> fellas. <laughs> yeah, I think that that would be uh, that'd be worse if I said that, Mark. <laughs> Why is that, Brett? Uh, oh, because it's like uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, definitely what the special is about uh, uh, and what the whole problem is about, really, amongst us uh, white liberals, right? What, do you, now, what, what is the problem? The problem is, I, you know, I don't believe in white guilt. I believe in white responsibility. Uh -huh. And I believe that white people in this country... And we're Jews, so we're like more like gray. No, I'm just I like the way you say it. We're uh, Jews. <laughs> no, Jews. white people in this country. I mean, we're conditioned into a racist system. Yes. You uh, you look at our business. You go into most writers' rooms. You go onto most sets. Yeah. And 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 it is white. Right. You go into most uh, alternative comedy clubs. It is white. You go to most independent film festivals. It is predominantly white. And I think that that is because. Uh, Though we, you know, in our in our minds are saying, 
I'm not a racist. We don't think in a racist way. We don't think that we are superior to uh, people of color. I do think that subconsciously we are uh, we're not really thinking of them as much as uh, as as we think that we are. Well, and, well, well it, in an empathetic way, you know, we claim to understand intellectually the issue. Exactly. And, and we say like, holy shit, that's horrible. But when when you talk to a black person about their experience on a fucking day to day basis. Yeah. Where you really to, to truly be empathetic with that awareness or that consciousness yeah. of, of the other all the time. It's, you know, it's daunting and it's horrendous. Yeah, I you know it. Uh, I see what my wife goes through on day to day thing. It brought it way more to home. I mean, I was always what are you putting? Her I through? always. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's not racial. That's just uh, personality based. Uh, no, I mean, and then you know, a lot of things surface. Yeah. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've right. seen a lot of people sure. getting killed by the cops. They've yeah. always been killed by the cops. Mm-hmm. Uh and and there's always been police abuse in in these neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh the oppression uh, that people have to go through in these neighborhoods is you, you know there, there sure. is a systemic thing you, you know absolutely uh and that was just coming to light more and more and uh many issues to me have been really in my face lately uh more than they i i don't know if it's i'm getting older and more sensitive to it um or or what and and you know just seeing just my wife walking into a beauty store yeah and the person going these are organic products just like that you know a, a systemic problem it doesn't just happen in these bangs it happens in whispers mm-hmm. you know it happens in these little things that and so we're all contributing to that and i'll just use myself as an example I, I had the idea for this special. I, you know, we cast Joe Morton, Sharika Epps, Mac Wilds, Loretta Devine, Lance Reddick. These are all, you know, great, really, uh, you know, just unbelievable actors. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I, I reached out. I, I, I talked to, 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 to Absolutely. And I, I was just like, we have to. What's make absolutely? sure absolutely is Tim and Eric's production okay, company yeah, produced yeah. this. And I was like, we have to get crew members of color here. I can't have like uh, the, this subject matter being done. And then these actors on set and they're looking out and it's all white faces. Yeah. That is not okay. And then I thought, holy shit, I'm a fucking racist. Yeah. Why did it take me having black actors and, and writing about uh, like you know, this issue? Yeah. For me to realize that I should have an inclusive set, an inclusive right. crew, and be going out of my way to right. to help people, you know, I mean, and that's the thing, and you hear it. Well, I think even the idea of of see, this is where it gets tricky. Yeah, is that like help people? Do you, you know, like there, we should be at a point where people are people, and inclusiveness is understood. Exactly. So, like, you know, there's still a frame of like, I'm a racist because I'm not helping black people. Whereas, like, you know, ultimately non-racism would be people are people and you don't even think about it. Right. So when you start putting together this thing, which is which is provocative and uh, assaulting in a way. Sure, sure. And, you know, profoundly disturbing. And uh, it is it is art in the sense that you can't stop watching it. It is profoundly uncomfortable. And even at the end where there is some resolution, 
Um, it is. Uh, it, it's not. It's not. It's not that it's not a strong joke, but it's a disturbing irony, and uh, and you don't really know what to do with that. You know, you, you sort of finish watching it, and you're like, uh, "Holy shit!" Now, where do I send money? What are you supposed to do? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what. Uh, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, and this is what I think art is. I think art is a question mark, and that you live in in the question Mm -hmm. you know and you present the question that is life you know as soon as you give an answer and you're standing by that answer and that answer is unmovable then you're you're really fucked Mm -hmm. you know and uh and so i i i the the special doesn't really present any answers it's only presenting a reality which is very complicated it's a complicated uh, special because you know you don't know what's going to happen your character is demonic and, yeah, uh, and, you and know, he's a coward. He's a coward. Well, he's like Satan. I mean, you, it seems like he plays <laughs> Satan over and over again. <laughs> but ultimately, you're, you you know, in you, what becomes very clear, you know, from the beginning, you know, despite whatever kind of coward you are, you're responsible. Yeah. I mean, it's a guy who is tr- and thus trying to prove that he's not a racist proves that he is a racist. And it's a guy who really wants to get like patted on the back mm-hmm. for right for this amazing charitable yeah thi- you know very conscious thing that he's doing yeah which in a way is what I'm doing yeah you know and yeah and, you're doing and, it with yeah. by doing this thing <laughs> exactly so there's a lot of layers well i think that like that that the the voice that you gave to some of the the black actors and the issues was very uh uh engaging and real oh thank you like that was that, the thing that i set out to do was the because like you know you may be responsible uh, for doing exactly what you're satirizing in real life but but the actual voice like morton's you know when he when he loses his shit yeah like you know it's like that was uh that was solid that was thank some you. real um, yeah like real unheard stuff to be that clear about yeah. that type of anger well jason and i really wanted uh what we wanted to do with two two things there i mean we wanted to the morton's monologue loretta divine's monologue uh octavio gomez's monologue uh who plays the waiter mm-hmm those aren't comedic at all. That's right. not trying to make you laugh from discomfort. That is actually dropping tragedy in the midst of uh, of this and putting it up against a comedic buffoon archetype, you know. It's so weird because for me, you know, when I see this stuff and like when I ask myself about racism or, or where who I am and what I'm like, I don't I, I'm always approaching like, you know, I'm self-involved. You right. know, and a lot of times I'm dismissive because of that. Uh, you know, I, I'm a little bit anxious, but I always, I'm always, I, I feel like I'm respectful and I don't really, you know, acknowledge, I don't see any difference, but I do acknowledge ethnic differences, but yeah. not in a negative way. Right. But in almost a, a sort of like a respectful way. Like, cause I, I have found that like in my upbringing, you know, outside of just being a Jew and whatever that means. I, I envy community. I envy definition of personality. I envy, you know, this sort of like, uh, you know, ability to sort of know who you are and where you stand. And I respect it. And, and a lot of times, like, 
there there are moments that I have where it's sort of like when I watch like a black comedy show, I'm like, this is exactly what it is, and it's great, and yeah. and, and and it's like and and not it's understood immediately by by a lot of people in this community. You know, there's a whole rhythm and there's a whole process and there's a whole. Um, you know, context to how this 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 community engages with this, and I don't I don't see it. I see yeah. we're so self conscious, you know, white people, which is sort of what you're executing here. That there's this self consciousness that that we think is um, sort of respectful. You, you know, like you know, like I don't want to, you know, I don't want to. Yeah, you, the you self consciousness is being placed in the wrong place a little bit a, a little because it's more about us yeah because it should just be about we should be self-conscious about not how we think and what we say but we should be self-conscious about our actions right i'm really talking about employment here i'm right. talking about uh legislation for protection here, right and us doing going out of our way to try and help with that with the black community with the latino community the lgbtq community right. sure you know the female Community. As opposed to just saying, this is awful. If Trump wins, I'm leaving the country. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like, you know, how many people, how many like white guys have you talked to? You know, I mean, it's less so now. But back in the day when we were like, oh, my God, Trump's hilarious. It's like, well, maybe you should talk to a Mexican or a Middle Eastern person mm -hmm. because it's it's actually dangerous for them because most of the killings that happen in this country are done by white guys. So, you know, you have uneducated white guys like hearing these things from him. It might justify them to go and fucking kill someone. Yeah. So uh, that's what so that's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about erasing culture and all of us, you know just being one thing when you approach black actors with the with something like this what how did how do they respond to it um you know they they got it uh they got what i was which i i mean some of them asked why did you write this yeah <laughs> and i was like because this you know i this issue means a lot to me it's one of the issues that mean a lot to me yeah uh and it upsets me and um was there any collaboration not, around like you know i don't think you got this right no, no. I, we took a long time to write it uh -huh. and, and really scrutinized over it. And uh, and we were just like, you know, th some of this is not funny. We don't think it's funny. And we actually don't think it really is like a bit of a prank. It's 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 a tragedy masquerading as a comedy. Sure. And so they they really got I mean, Joe uh, was, you know, said, yeah. This is like uh, when the Richard Pryor special, when he brought out a gun and was saying he was going to kill all the white people in the audience. Right. And I was like, whoa, that's uh, exactly right. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, they're, they're, they're aggressive, violent, bloody, blood, blood and gut satire. I mean, it is, um, there's a tradition to it. You know, it, it does, you know, that kind of menace. Uh, has been it, it has been engaged in you know in brutal satire before, and it's it's good to see actually. Oh, thanks. I would like to read some uh, uh, black criticism of it. Not, I, I mean, I and by criticism, I mean you know intellectual assessment of it. Not that sucks. You know, I'd like to hear a, a critical analysis. I would or, like or to. Feedback. I would like to see. You know, I, I've shown. I've I've shown. Uh, I've shown uh, friends of mine. Um, the special and 
you know, they've they've all liked it, but they know me mm-hmm. and they know what my intentions are. So it's like, you know, as you know, you're not putting your intention right about I mean, you know, when I when I call Lance Reddick, I don't do think it. it can be misunderstood. And, you know, I, I don't think it can be misunderstood as exploitational or 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 racist. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it can be misunderstood. If if somebody goes, I think I was offended. That's racist. I can't really argue with that because mm-hmm. I'm not experiencing what they experience right. every day. And I think and you, that, I think you should do some follow up. I think I would like to like if you and Jason get any of that type of feedback, you should have a discussion. I will engage with the discussion. I mean, you know, I, I would I would love to engage with I, what I hope, though, is that is that uh, no one of color is offended or feels and, and sees what I'm that I'm saying that. I'm really talking about the, you know, yeah. the white liberal we'll see, problem Brett. here. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's the thing, too. It's like, it's not just with this special. It's not just with this premiere screening. I really do want to make the experience of my work and the and the collaboration of my work, whatever I do, is as inclusive as possible. And so that's really... That's really uh, opened the door to that consciousness in my mind. Well, good. You know? Well, that's uh, well. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're evolving, and it took a lot of blood and guts and weirdness to do that. <laughs> well, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. You know, you got to evolve, right? Yeah. I I think uh, consciousness is important, and and really, I think a, a big step is self forgiveness. Just moving on. Like if you say something racist and you don't mean to, and somebody goes, "You're racist," for or that was racist. Yeah, take the hit and think Just about it. Just be like, yeah, you know what? I fucked up. I mean, I, no, I, 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 fuck I believe up that. Every, no, I believe that's true. I'm conditioned to. I fuck up every day. Well, I probably it, fucked up. I'm sure you could point out like fucked up things I said in this. I, I don't know. Well, tolerance and sensitivity. There's a learning curve to it because, like you said, not unlike the system, shit is ingrained. Yeah, and and we, you know, we have to be afforded. The, uh, the 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 sort of room to evolve. Yeah, it's not about guilt. Yeah, you don't want to draw a lines. Of waste guilt, of time, guilt or blame. But if somebody says, "Look, yeah, you know what? I you know I did I didn't think about it that way. I appreciate it. It's, a, it's about empathy, and you know I'll, I will make that mistake again, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll right. Do a you step on somebody's foot, they go, "You stepped on my foot." You don't go, "No, I didn't." Fuck you. <laughs> You go. I'm sorry. I'll try not to step on your foot next time. You know what I mean? It's or like, depending it's what kind of person simple. you go, you say like, "Yeah, well, I got these big dumb feet," and you know it happens a lot. And there's there's really nothing I can do about it. <laughs> right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's my my bad. But yeah. I, you know, I'm kind of just gonna keep stepping on feet. Yeah. Because I, you know, it's it's a it's a system. Yeah. Mm. I mean, guilt's a waste of time. You know, oh. it's a complete waste of time. I, I not I unless you enjoy it. You know, unless it's you know. Your home base, <laughs> right? Yeah, no. I mean, that's you, a deeper problem. Yeah, that's a that's a very Jewish problem. All right, keep trying to do the right thing, Brett. I'll try. Okay, you too, Mark. I'm you trying. <laughs> Brett Gelman, the 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 lovely and talented and and a true artist, Mr. Gelman is. And he uh, has done something with Jason Wolliner that is uh, pretty uh, 
pretty intense, pretty crazy. You can watch it on uh, July 1st at midnight, Brett Gelman's Dinner in America. Also, speaking of television, as I've uh, alerted you before, those of you who are in the uh, Academy of Television and are voters for Emmys, I have a show on IFC that either you know about or you don't. Uh, I also have a special uh, on Epics that you can also see on Hulu and you can see on Amazon Prime called More Later. And I am uh, telling you because today is the last day you can vote. So if I'm, I'm reminding you to vote for Emmys, uh, go do it. Obviously, vote for whatever you're going to vote for. But today is the last day. But I'd, I'd like you to vote for my show. And I'd like you to vote for my special. So I'm doing my due diligence here to raise awareness because my network did not. Um, so there's that. Okay. Are we good? John C. Riley. I was very excited to have Mr. Riley here. I'm a very big fan of John C. Riley. I think he's one of the great actors. I always enjoy seeing him. I have for what feels like most of my life. So when I finally got him in here, I was thrilled. As you'll find listening, he doesn't always like to talk about himself. So it was a little tricky, but we found a way. We, we, we got excited about some stuff that you'll be surprised about. All right. Uh, I do want to mention that his show, Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule, is currently in its fourth season, Fridays on Adult Swim. And also, we shared this with you a few weeks ago. We uh, talked about The Lobster, which is a great movie. Uh, it's still in theater, so you can go see that. And now you can enjoy me talking to John C. Riley. So I feel like I know you. Like I, I apologize if I came at you with too much familiarity. No, in my no, driveway. Okay. There's just a moment where you seem familiar to me. That's the story of my life, Mark. Is, is it really? Yeah. I had no idea, really. That happens a lot to you? Yeah. P- people feel feel very, f- feel like they know me because they've, whatever, spent time with me in their privacy of their homes. <laughs> yeah. But I think it also speaks to a consistency. Even in the varying characters, there's some core to you that seems like... Oh, no. Every character I do is totally different <laughs> and unique. It's an genius creation each time. I think that's true. I do think that's true. But uh, but the core, the core of you is there, isn't it? I wish I knew what the core of me was. Well, then, Maybe I don't wish I know it. Maybe that's your genius. Maybe that's it. So uh, we talked about in walking up here that I met you at that bowling party for Ron Lynch. That would make sense. Yeah, the great Ron Lynch. Yeah. You, how do you know him? Just from? Uh, well, actually, I saw him first at this thing called the Uncabaret many years ago. It was like, where right all kinds of Beth Lapidus. famous stand-up comedians started. Kathy Griffin, Taylor Negron, Dana, Dana Gould, mm-hmm. all the usual suspects. Yeah, yeah. So you, you used to go over there. Yeah, I'm. I forgot how I know Beth, but yeah, Beth and Greg started that, and I just started to go just because it was fun. And when I saw you at that bowling party, I can't remember how long ago it was, but I feel like it was around. Here. No, maybe it wasn't around here because there's a bowling alley down there. But that's where you met Tim and Eric at that thing. Yeah, Ron invited me to his birthday party at this bowling alley. It it was on. Uh, I feel like it was that one that was on Santa Monica. That's mm. closed now. That's a high school there now, I think. But I think I met them there, and they asked me to be on Tom Goes to the Mayor. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of hit it off from there. And you just said you're about to start production for New Brules. Check it out. No, I'm just an executive producer on the Check It Out show, but we're we're about to release the next season of Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule. 
Oh. June 17th. So you, it doesn't have anything. You're just a producer. I'm the executive producer, yes. One of three. Uh-huh. Who are the other? Tim and Eric? Tim and Eric. That's right. But what What about, so do you, you, you don't associate yourself with, uh, with Dr. Brule as a character? He's a separate fella? He is. I find it's best to let people have that man as their own. <laughs> yeah. And if they choose to take his advice, then so be it. I, I enjoy him. He's uh, disturbing and funny and, uh, and uh, uh, knowledgeable. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on the type of knowledge you're after, but I guess so. <laughs> what, you know the guy, right? I've met him. Yeah. I have met him. Uh-huh. I, I get very disciplined when the, about the things I'm talking about, or else every interview becomes uh, some type of retrospective, which I find boring. Do but, you really? Yeah, I don't like, I don't especially like talking about myself, and I definitely don't like talking about the past in terms of like my own work or whatever. Like, I like, ta- I like telling stories from my childhood and stuff, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. I like well, I mean, I don't know about a retrospective, but like I, I'm sort of curious about because I've talked to people of I guess we're about the same age of of, of our generation recently, like of like uh, actors like Rockwell and Ethan Hawke, and sometimes people can talk about acting, sometimes people can't, you know, and it's it, it's sort of interesting to me either either you have you know, something you do and it's built up, you know, it's grown over time or are you just a natural at it? I mean, where did you start doing it? I started doing it when I was about eight years old at the park near my house. We used, there was a thing called drama class. Where was this? In Chicago, on the south side yeah, of Chicago. Yeah. yeah. In a park called Marquette Park. And, um, and I used to go over there. I've had a crazy friend that I met in school, and he was like, my aunt teaches drama class at the park. You should yeah. come with. We call it drama. Yeah. I literally had never heard the word before, I guess. But- uh, It's kind of a- sh- Maybe that's with a Chicago accent. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and so he said, come by, and I, was, I didn't know what the hell it was, and so I went and- um, had a great time, and then we started. Do- I did lots and lots of musicals, basically when there, yeah, and all different high schools and community theater. And when you were like eight and ten, eight to ten, twelve years old, how old? I started going to drama class when I was eight, and then I just never stopped. Doing yeah, and mostly musicals. Well, on the you're, south side of Chicago, that's all they want to do is musicals. <laughs> There's no <laughs> Ibsen being done at the community theater and. <laughs> Maybe I'm. Maybe it's changed, but when I was a kid, it was all maybe hello. a little Arthur Miller, no Arthur Miller, nah. <laughs> Brigadoon, Hello Dolly, Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. So, so you're like a like Chicago kid, working class kind of deal. Yeah, my father had an industrial linen supply company, and my mother was, for the most part, was a housewife, but then worked as a lunch lady for many years because she was just bored sitting at home. So she wanted to go work at the school. Yeah, I could never understand it. I tried for a long time to get her to stop doing it. She's like, "What? What the hell am I going to do with myself sitting here when you're all at school?" So, so she was a lunch lady at your school? No, at another Chicago public school. How many brothers and sisters you got? I have five brothers and sisters. Oh my god, that's a lot. You know yeah. them all pretty well. Yes, I do. I know them all very well. <laughs> the Catholic family? Yes. Yeah, yeah. we went. To, yeah, we were Catholic. I I like Chicago. Like I Chicago, I I didn't know it, and now I go there, and I'm it. 
like I was so New York oriented, but once you really experience Chicago, it's just, it's a real, it's its own deal. It's like, it's a whole different Don't act thing. so surprised like every condescending New Yorker that Chicago is its own deal. Well, I grew up in New Mexico. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> But it, but it, like Chicago's I, actually really interesting. Wow, you know, you got a real city here. Well, uh, it's just like in, you have to spend time there, though. Like no, I no, mean, I'm, I'm just no, it's okay. Busting. I can I'm, take it. I'm acting like a typical Chicagoan, which is I, I have all a, defensive with I chip love on it. their shoulder and I go there competitive more, with New York. Yeah, but I go there more than New York now. I mean, I like going to Chicago to spend time there. I went it's a there. Great town. Do you know Joe Swanberg? Yeah, I do. Yeah, he's a great guy. I was there. I did a thing with him, and like he's a sweet guy, and he showed me around, took me some places. I just like uh, you have to, you have to really have to have somebody take you around so you can really take it in. Yeah, that's true. But when I go back now, mm-hmm. if I were to take you, like, okay, Mark, I'm going to take you to my Chicago. Yeah, I feel like I'm traveling like a ghost. It's like a oh, Christmas really? Carol. Yeah, because. You realize you really that expression. You can't go home. You really mm-hmm. can't go home. It's not there anymore. Yeah, those people that define the place are not there anymore, and so there's sort of this. I don't know. I have this skeletal feeling when I go there. It's still a fantastic city, but it's not the city that I grew up in. You know, well, it's like because of gentrification or just the, the shifting just of time the because of the sands of time. Oh, you like different stores and shit. Yeah, things change, yeah. and you know, like when I was growing up, Mayor Daly, the first Mayor Daly, was mayor for thirty years or something, and everything, every public work in the city was painted Kelly green, yeah, either like a mint green or Kelly green, and anything that was metal was painted Kelly green, yeah. And my dad used to say it was because you know Daly was Irish, and my dad was part of that whole kind of Irish Democratic machine. Oh, yeah? Situation on the south side there. All his friends were all, you know, these sort of ex-football player crony guys. <laughs> yeah. Jan Jan, get over here. <laughs> yeah. So they, I, they, I grew up very, like, well-protected by... By those guys. Racists, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were in Hoffa, weren't you? Yeah. So did, Shot in Chicago. Right, exactly. That was like a Chicago story. Not only shot in Chicago. I was more of a Detroit. Oh, know, yeah? He, Hoffa was a Michigan, Michigan guy. Michigan guy. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know why I made the assumption. Just union and yeah, Chicago. A lot of stuff went down. There were a lot of labor strikes and stuff happened in Chicago. But Did that feel like the guys your dad hang around with? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> are you? Does he? Is he still around? No, my both my parents are dead. I'm sorry. That's all right. Did, did your siblings stay in Chicago? Kind of, although we all kind of drifted away from that original neighborhood where I grew up. I had 35 first cousins within a 10-block area of where I lived. (laughs) So I would go out. I remember I would leave. I wore the same thing every day for like, I don't know, most of my life. (laughs) Unless I had to wear something nice for school or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Converse All-Star High Tops, JCPenney plain pocket jeans, and a white T-shirt. Yeah. And that's what I wore every until the shoes wore out, until the pants wore out. Like, just get the same thing. Over your and choice over. or your mom's choice? That was my choice. Yeah. yeah, it's consistent. It's like Einstein. And then, uh, and I'd leave the house about eight eight o'clock in the morning. Go like wake up my cousin, and we just bum around all day, and stop at different relatives' houses throughout the day if you got hungry or thirsty or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in some ways, it was like a really idyllic kind of life. When did your interest in 
like did you do because i know second city was there were you did you go to theater like at, at, while you were doing it was there an active interest that started where you're like i, I think i want to do this not until very late oh yeah again because i didn't i had no idea what it was really to be an actor as a job yeah like if i went to the movies i never thought of the actors and movies as actors i right. just thought like that's Gene Hackman. That's what he's like. He's yeah. like Popeye Doyle. I know they changed his name for the movie, but that's what he's like. <laughs> that's what I did to you earlier. Yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. I, I do the same thing to actors. I see people coming out of an elevator while I'm going in for a meeting. Like, right. Hey, man, how's it going? Oh, fuck. It's just I don't guy. know that person. <laughs> I've never met him. Even now you do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You just get familiar with people. and Yeah, but... Uh, so I did a lot of plays when I was a kid, and yeah. then I went to drama school at this place called the Goodman School of Drama at DePaul University, which yeah. is now called the Theater School at DePaul University. They changed the name. Was that like a two-year or four-year thing? Four years. Yeah. Bachelor of Fine Arts. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a conservatory program where, similar to like Juilliard or one of those places where yeah. you just eat, sleep, and breathe theater. But did you do like uh, like uh, swordsmanship and stuff and yeah. dance? All of it. All of that stuff? Movement to music. Makeup. I had a whole semester's makeup class I had to take. Yeah? Did you yeah. do any clown work? Well, it's interesting you mentioned clowns because I used to be a clown. You did? Even before I went to acting school, I was through my church group. I was a clown and... Um, and I thought that might be what I went to do after I finished. Even after I went through acting school, I thought I was, gonna, was really toying with the idea of going down to um, Florida there. Where the they have, Barnum and Bailey yeah, they Clown have College? Clown College yeah. there. And I almost did it. And then at the last second, someone said, you know what they get in return, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, well, you have to ride. You have to be part of the circus for like three years for basically no pay. <laughs> Yeah. You just they give you food and you get the <laughs> shittiest compartment in the train and you have to travel for three years with the circus. And I was like, ah, that's, I don't that's, think I'm going to go for that. That's what paying your dues as a clown is. But I now collect, and I think I might be saying this publicly for the first time, Yeah, I collect clown paintings. Oh, did you see? I had one. I know. I saw. Yeah. I noticed. How many you got? I have about 75, 80, oh, really? like that. Yeah, like amateur clown paintings? All pretty, yeah, all amateur, although I have some that are like more well done than others. Uh-huh. And you know what I'm going to ask you next? Do you, do you have kind, a- What kind of clown was I? No. Uh, do you have a John Wayne Gacy clown painting? No. Good. See, I'm not Good. into that. I was Dark. John Wayne Gacy was killing kids my age when he was killing kids. Yeah. So I don't have much affection or kind of like, I don't have that. No, morbid curiosity and, uh, or horrible. Yeah. I know someone, a friend of mine or someone I haven't seen in a long time, but he was corresponding with him and he's all into it. He ended up writing a book about serial killers, so I understood his interest. But yeah. I don't yeah, know. No, to no. me, the whole thing Why would you happened want that with, in the house? with clowns yeah. is, yeah, exactly. It's like You know, it's cursed. like cursed, yeah. The thing that happened with clowns kind of in my lifetime is that like some jerk decided like clowns were scary i never understood and that. turned it into this horror movie trope yeah and in fact clowns are like priests you know the the real people who are really committed to clowning who are good at it yeah it's like a monastic kind of life where you really you're kind of it's like a vocation you're giving yourself over to this higher calling where you're bringing joy to people and i don't know it's a it's a special kind of calling 
It's a very specific work too, really. I mean, in a way, like the the training for it. You know, to to I guess it could come natural, but it seems like the movement and the broad sort of nature of opening your heart in that way, mm-hmm. and you know, choosing your face. I always that always fascinated me. Well, there's that. Well, if we're gonna talk about clowns, I know a lot about it. Okay. The whole thing about choosing your face is like it kind of comes to you in this, you know, through the process of training as a clown. Yeah. There's all these rules and stuff about, actually, I won't get into the minutia of it, but there are specific rules about being a clown if you're going to really be a formal clown. Uh-huh. Um, but when you discover your makeup, it's almost like this sort of inner journey that you make and you realize who you, who you are mm-hmm. and you design this makeup. And then that's like sacred. No one can do your makeup. No, right, right. no one can take your look. And what happens if someone does? It's like it's a clown it's a crime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a Shonda, and you have to live with that. And I, there's some interesting, famous ver- uh, cases, instances of yeah. that. Yeah. So you get. So if you become like a well-known clown, yeah. and you make it into the clown museum or the clown hall of fame. I think it's in St. Louis. They put your makeup, your your picture of your makeup on an egg, on a hollow egg, huh. and then it's housed in the museum, and then f- that's forever. No one can do your makeup. Wow. So so one of my favorite clowns is Emmett Kelly. Sure. And Emmett Kelly is the famous tramp clown. He's one of the only people in the whole history of clowning that invented a kind of clown. The tramp. Yeah, the tramp. And in the time he did it, he was actually a trapeze artist who got injured. Yeah. And he was kind of a sometime illustrator. He'd do like drawing and stuff for money. He's like the famous clown, one of the big ones. Yeah. Emmett Kelly. He's yeah. The one looks all sad. He was yeah, silent. Yeah. He never spoke. And yeah. he was always depressed. His character was called Weary Willie. And so he was a trapeze artist in the circus and he got injured and he couldn't continue on the trapeze. And they were like, well, kid, see you later. And he's like, please, please don't send me home. Please, I'll do anything. I'm like, well, I think we need a clown. You want to be a clown? I'm like, do you have a character? Like, oh, of course I do. And he didn't have a character. He had just been drawing this bum kind of character um, called Weary Willie. And he's yeah. like, I'll just be Willie. And so he started to do it. And at the time, it was like the Great Depression was going on. And when people saw this clown, it was an instant hit because it was it made people feel like, well, I'm I'm really struggling, but that guy's much right. worse off than me. Or they could relate even. That's how bad things were. Yeah. Like, someone like, he had like a clothespin for a tie bar and like right. you know, all these great little yeah. details of his costume. Anyway, he became world famous clown and like the biggest star of the circus. And, and then he, he sort of retired and then his son, Emma Kelly Jr., Decided to continue doing the character. Uh oh, but not. Uh, it's not legal. It was in a clown Shonda. <laughs> oh, really? Even his kid. Yes, and they stopped speaking as a result of it because of the face. Yes, you can't take that guy's look. Mm-hmm. So it was this big controversy. Anyway, I hope they made peace in heaven. I think they're both. I know, I know the dad yeah, is yeah. dead. I think the younger son is dead now too. Have you ever done like? Because I am I remembering right? Did you do like sort of a clownish character in uh, in like Chicago? Wasn't there sort of a broad well, kind of? I made it that you did. Yeah, because I wanted to this whole thing of like putting on the makeup beforehand. I was like, I wanted to be kind of a like this tramp clown. Like I, I kind of edged it that way. Yeah, yeah. And then this woman was doing makeup for the movie. 
people always think they can do clown makeup and then they put it on you and you look like terrifying. <laughs> so this woman started putting on these big black eyebrows on my and I already have like a Cro Magnon brow, so like if you do anything to my eyebrows, it makes me look really scary. So I saw what she was doing and I was like, you know, hold off, hold off. Let's just let me go talk to the director for a second. I think maybe I'm going to do this on camera. I'll do, and, and part of the reason it's it's the way it is in the movie, in the movie is because I didn't want the makeup artist to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. I just did, and Rob's like, you know, the director's brilliant, brilliant. I'll yeah. just watch you put the makeup on, and then it became part of the number. And anyway, so yeah, I did do a clown character did, in that movie, did and you- I still have. The shoes that I wore, the oversized clown shoes that I wore. From really? The- yeah. Did, did you feel the effect? Of, like, it, it must be sort of powerful. I mean, somebody who has as much respect for clowning and clowns as you do, to, to do that, pro- to put makeup on, to look at yourself doing that. Yeah. I mean, it must be kind of deep to the to, to, to transformation. Yeah. It's intense because you're, cl- you're wearing a mask, but yeah. everyone can still see your face. Yeah. And that movie also was like going right back to my childhood it just took me right back to how it felt to be on stage doing a musical and yeah so that was really the first musical you'd done since you were a kid uh yeah kind of yeah yeah but there's not that many opportunities to do musicals i know there should be more it's it's like one of the few things americans have to call our own well how come you how come you haven't done any broadway musicals um haven't been busy you guys shoot movies it takes up a lot I don't of time know. there was a period of my life when i was really open to doing theater in new york yeah and then you know i have children and it became harder to move them and right right i just figured you know what i'm gonna pull a dennehy and just hit it hard once my <laughs> kids are in college <laughs> you go wait it out i think co- how old are they now they're private citizens until they're old enough to, oh, okay. to tell you how old they are. All right, so <laughs> so you got a few years before you're going to hit it hard then? Yes. <laughs> yeah, a few, <laughs> few years. But I, I stayed involved in theater here. and But didn't you do I True West? Plays. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Has it been a long time ago where you played both roles, right? Yep. You yeah, switched Phil them Hoffman up. and I switched roles every three performances. Oh, man. I miss that guy. Yeah, you and me both, brother. So... Did I? Is this a true thing that you're doing? Uh, you're playing Oliver Hardy. Is that really happening? I intend to. Yeah. Oh, so it's not at any stage where you're actually uh, acting yet. No, it's gonna be. We're gonna film. It's a movie. You know, we're gonna do, and probably not till the fall. Are, what are, you, are you gonna put on a little weight? What are you gonna do? I don't know. You'll have to see. I don't, but that's like, I don't let people behind the curtain, Mark. You know, ever, <laughs> but, ever, yeah, but, but that. <laughs> It's part of my clowning training. You never let anyone see you like talk as yourself when you're dressed as a clown. Or, but that's sort of a clown role too. That's gonna be kind of fun. Yeah, two of the greatest clowns ever. In fact, it's funny you should mention them, Mark, because look at my cufflinks. Uh Stan, is it Stan and Ollie? Uh, who's playing uh, Stan? Steve Coogan. Oh, really? Yeah, that'll be fun. Jesus, that'll be. A I blind. wouldn't even be talking about this other than the fact that the producers have already announced it publicly. So. So we were cool? Yeah, we're cool. We're cool. You, just between you and I and the, and the 20 pe- million people that <laughs> listen to this podcast, I have to admit, I don't even understand the whole podcast thing. I mean, good on you. I'm happy for you. But I honestly don't know where people get the time to listen to a podcast. 
Well, I I, agree. I I understand that. I think most people do it when they exercise, when they drive. Okay, I don't exercise. Right, right. When they drive, I when they commute. To either K Day or news radio when I'm driving. Right, right. Yeah, I do. I do NPR generally, but I think people who have integrated into their life, it's like you used to listen to radio. So they'll do it, you know, during their commute, during the exercise, on trips, on planes. It's a little better than radio because you can download it like a song. I I like uh, the Moth Radio Hour. I like all those story kind of. Ones. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, that's like a podcast. They do that as a podcast. You know, speaking of Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. I'll tell you about Laurel and Hardy. This is the way it worked with Laurel and Hardy. Stan Laurel did almost all of the work. He did all the writing. He was yeah. like a workaholic. He never stopped writing. Never stopped coming up with bits. He was very organized. He was always the one that's sitting at a typewriter, mm-hmm. and you know Oliver Hardy might be sitting there like like giving opinions about stuff, but Stan was the one writing, 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 writing. And then, um, and Stan's job was also on the set. He would almost like direct stuff. Mm-hmm. They had cameramen and and directors, but. It was all done very much in collaboration with Stan. Yeah. Oliver loved to eat, loved to drink, loved to gamble. He was like an ace golfer. He uh-huh. was like the best golfer in Hollywood. Yeah. So all these guys like W.C. Fields and John Wayne, all these famous people would always want to partner with Oliver Hardy because he would kick anyone's ass. Like, uh-huh. He was a savant at yeah. golf. Wow. So he when he would go down to Tijuana. He was just loved traveling and spending money and just living large and enjoying life. You know? Yeah, and but he had this very important thing in their in their duo. If Stan said like, "What about this? What if I punch you in the nose?" Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. What else? Oh, what if I just turned your ear and then I kicked you in the ass? That'll go big. That'll go big. And it sounds like, well, Stan's doing all the work. Oliver's just saying, yeah, that's a good idea. But that is the secret to their success. To uh-huh. have one guy who Stan trusted, and they only trusted each other. Everyone else almost didn't even exist in their lives. Right. But I just find that whole idea of duos in general, even like singing duos, like yeah. I'm really into close harmony singers, yeah. which is like, you know, the Everly Brothers are classic close harmony act yeah the leuven brothers before them the stanley brothers before them yeah and almost those just those three duos and i could name you four more but those three duos the stanleys yeah the leuvens and the everleys yeah one of them touched by god right uh, an angel on earth like seeing like the larger picture like this beautiful angelic spirit yeah the other one torn apart by the devil and drink and darkness and <laughs> and just fighting and violence and breaking things and yeah. but when they get together on stage this incredibly beautiful thing happens huh. and that's all three of those i mean how crazy is that they're all separated by many years and different musical styles what are the yeah. odds you know right. it must be that's what brings them together that fight that struggle and then the beauty that happens when in the moments of the song must be that special chemistry that happens, like, and it almost doesn't matter what people, what their roles are, yeah. As long as it comes together in that way, when it needs to come together. So when when did you start acting professionally? After I left college, when I finished. Did you go to New York? You come here? Uh, I stayed in Chicago and started working with the Steppenwolf Theater Company, which has its fortieth anniversary this weekend. Really, you began there? Uh huh. Who was in the crew then? Um, well, 
I first I did I understudied things there, and I did like a Shakespeare program for high schoolers just because I knew I just got to get in that building. I yeah. got to start working there, and they'll, they'll see. Steppenwolf was the place. Yeah, yeah. By I mean, this is like Malkovich had just broken out of there, and Joan started, Allen, Joan Allen, like all all of them. Sinise, yeah. Um, so I started working there. And, was lucky enough those guys took me under their wing and gave me jobs and then I got my first movie and then when I came back from my first movie they cast me in, in a in a main stage production of Gr- The Grapes of Wrath uh-huh. with Terry Kinney and Gary Sinise so I owe Terry a lot Kinney's to so Steppenwolf good. yeah he's good I haven't seen him lately in things Terry Kinney uh, I haven't seen him in anything lately either but I'm sure he's doing stuff you know what like you know what he was like really great in it was just i saw him in barry child i saw gary sinise's barry child on yeah. broadway that was great yeah i saw that in chicago it's good right mm-hmm. but like he had this great weird part in the firm the tom cruise movie oh yeah remember yeah and he's just sitting outside with the sprinkler hitting him yeah 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 oh shit like there's weird moments i remember about movies but certain actors like i was when you were coming over i kept thinking there's one fucking line like, cause like we're almost we're basically the same age. So like you know I saw your shit as it came out because you're a contemporary of mine in my head. That one line in fucking Casualties of War, where you you go like, you know, be really good right now, beer. I kind of want a beer. <laughs> fucking that line was like that's the whole movie. <laughs> do you do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. It was my line. Yeah, yeah. But what it was just sort right of that. Now, a beer. Yeah, that's cold beer. Yeah, that guy was so dangerously dumb. That character. Oh my god! But it's just like that was so. I fun thought to... you were gonna say another one. I, Which like, one? Yeah, you know, I was thinking we're like Genghis Khan, man. Yeah. <laughs> Where he starts to get these delusions of grandeur. Like it doesn't Danger. matter what we do. We're not bound by law. We're like Genghis Khan. We're just conquerors like yeah but it all came to him after the intelligence already happened elsewhere yeah he, yeah, he had yeah. to put it together but like that beer line it was like so disturbingly american yeah in some fucked up way well that whole movie is really interesting it's like in some it's called casualties of war but it's really should be called the rape yeah yeah that's what it's really about it's yeah the central action of the movie is this abduction and the rape and murder of this of this girl and it was the a true story that's the that's the shot oh it was yeah so that was the first movie that was my first movie yes yeah only 69 to go mark whoa <laughs> no i'm not gonna do it to you i'm just gonna pick randoms are you are you are y'all dressed up for what did you do conan or something no no i just i like to overdress as opposed to underdress I, we had a whole press junket thing for the lobster at the four seasons hotel oh so one after the other like just people on microphones yeah i which is so funny like <clears throat> like why did like eight track tapes become obsolete but this idea of coming into a room and talking for three minutes where you don't care what the question you know we don't the, you don't care what my answer is i don't care what your questions are and no one's gonna watch this why is this i don't know stupid thing of publicity junkets even exist who watches that and Who they, really watches this stuff? That's right. what I want to know. And they think this big net idea is the way to go. So you do a million things, like we're for content providers that have you know a ten thousand unique hits that you don't even know what the fuck it is. And well, that I could even I, I could understand, like the internet, the reach of the internet. Yeah. But these, it's the TV ones where they come in. Like we're just gonna, I don't know. It's just the questions are so mundane and like nothing's ever said. Nothing's interesting. There's, 
I feel like I'm just totally boring. Like even people that are into my acting or yeah. interested in me would find this totally boring. Like, right, right. Why isn't there a more interesting way to promote movies? Like, I don't know. I think we're doing it. Ah! <laughs> Podcasts. <laughs> I knew it. It's just like talking. Like, you know, because you're, you know, not everybody knows, you know, gets a sense of who you are. You know what I mean? And that's the way I like it, Mark. I'm sure it is. I mean, I, like, I, I think that, like, you know, actors have a certain, you know, responsibility to protect their insides. Well, it's not even that. It's like, I, I don't even know what's in there, to tell you the truth. I don't, don't do a lot of self-analysis. You about, don't? No, not at all. I don't I don't like to think about that stuff. I like to just keep moving forward and try not to make mistakes or repeat mistakes, but keep moving. But do you experience... Uh, a, a, but my The reason I like to protect my privacy yeah. is because my job is to trick you into thinking I'm someone that I'm not. So if you know who I really am... yeah. And you know what my likes and dislikes are, and you know what my opinion is politically or this or that. Right. Then, you, then if I have to play something that's contrary to that, you're like, oh, well. That's not really him. It's bullshit. <laughs> and then your career is over. Really? Really. I think that's the secret to a long career as an actor is staying mysterious. And t- in this day and age, yeah. when everything is about, I want it now, it's not here fast enough, I can get whatever I want instantly. Yeah. The thing that you can't get becomes the thing people find attractive i think i think that's true within reason yeah i think that's true but do you like if you if you're not into like self-examination do you experience you know some sort of catharsis with certain roles like do you like emotional lives that oh are, yeah that it's sort of you're kind of like oh my god you know you well found- that's not really self-analysis though it's more just like putting yourselves and yourself in someone else's shoes right. and then you realize, like, oh God, oh, this is feeling really familiar. Like, oh my God, this was about my relationship with my dad was like, like. But you just kind of you feel that though. Yeah, you feel like things touch nerves. Like, whoa, right? Well, why did I just start crying right away when I said those words? Like, and you realize, like, all the stuff buried in there. But and you just use good. it as it's opposed to, to poke around in there. there. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't need to know it. You don't need to know it. Just. Enjoy the movie, but yeah, but it's nice that you you can tap into it that you have this emotional life that you know remains relatively unexamined, but it'll surprise you when you, you start. Yeah. Well, doing that's why I'm role. an actor. <laughs> yeah, it's not you know it's like that's it's not just a convenient that I have that tool. It's the reason I'm an actor is that I have this stuff. I'm able to access things or access feelings. You know. Yeah, and when when you prepare for something, and we can talk about acting in a. In a a Broadway because like I, I I kind of find it fascinating when people can talk about it if it, if something you can talk about I mean what do you do to like prepare for for uh, uh what would you consider the most challenging role you've had really as an actor well the most challenging ones are the ones I feel like were failures really so those are the ones that when you say challenging that's the way I think back like ugh. I tried to do that and it didn't quite work. What? Like which I, one? Who wants to talk about that? Not me. But okay. In terms of preparation, the, the um, yeah, you want to talk about your greatest failures? Well, how about the one that you <laughs> thought was a victory? I mean, that well, that you really. What I was going to say was about preparation. Was you asked me what I what do yeah. you do to prepare? And the truth is, like every single one is totally different. Every like. I think from the outside, it looks like there's a way to make a movie and there's this. And even people, sometimes crew people like assistant directors and yeah. stuff think there's this way that you do it. Yeah. You you say this and then you come here and you you have to be here. You know, like the truth is the whole thing is a custom job every single time. Even yeah. if you work with the same director or the same actor, like you got to find what 
where are we at today? You know, yeah. what, what, how are we going to convey this today in this world that it is the way it is? Like, so my preparation is specific to what I don't know for each job. Like, right. So if I have to play like a school teacher who knows about geography and I actually don't know anything about geography, I, I learn as much as I have to in order to feel like I am uh, like authorized to play that part. Right, like I can, I can do geography a bit. Like I can be convincing. Yeah, or yeah. I can do a geography enough. I can do as much geography as I would have to do in that scene. Right. I would know what I'm... Ha- right, I get it. So you look at this script... long and, line fishing right. or, or being right. a policeman or, you know, like... I'm not one of these people that... And I don't fault people because I know some great actors that work this way. People that completely, you know, sub- submerge themselves into this world off camera and you yeah. can call them by their character's name and right. they, they're always in character and or they just do so much research that it takes up months of their lives and they're just commit and uh, you know I think there's been some great performances f- by that technique yeah sure I'm just not that way I'm I'm more lazy or something I'm more I, more energy I conserve my energy more yeah well, also, like, I mean, like, you know, you seem to, like you said, you have a gift for accessing emotions. And if you can do that without exhausting yourself uh, yeah, like, in that way. I don't know. Like, I think, like like I said, it's, each one's a custom job. Okay, let's, well, let's just talk and, like one that everybody knows, like like Boogie Nights. You were younger, but it was a big movie and you're playing a porn guy. Right. So, and he's a pretty fun guy. He's, you know, he's a... A fun, you know, and a nice guy in a way. So, how did you sort of like set up? You set yourself up for that. Well, that was like that. The, the movies with Paul Anderson are kind of a, a breed apart because Paul and I, at the time that we made those movies, were very, very close and almost like collaborating on this in this way that I didn't really collaborate with anyone before or, and rarely since. How was that? Where. He's almost like writing st- stuff for me or letting me improvise in a way that he knows is exactly right for the character. Yeah. And uh, we and visited some him. porn sets yeah. on that movie. I didn't do any porn because <laughs> right. I was married at the time. But yeah, um, but, but, yeah uh, that- I felt like I met enough porn people and got absorbed enough to know, like, okay, this is what it feels like to be in a porn set. This is the psychology of a porn star at this time. Right. You know, like, it demystified it a bit. So yeah, you get, or you know, just, just made, makes, makes you feel like empathy for, right, the, right. for the person you're going to play. Right. But, you know, a lot of times, like, people, like, like say it's a Civil War movie. Yeah. Someone goes through basic training or, and lives on a battlefield for six months in order to know what it's like to be a Civil War soldier. Like, well... Yes, but you're only doing this one scene where you're in a triage tent. Yeah. You just need to know about that part of the Civil War, not the entire Civil War experience. But but again, like I said, like with a lot of actors, it's that's really good. You know, mm-hmm. God love them. Some great performances come out of that kind of so with, acting. But I, I don't know. I'm just a little more like... So with... Um, I'm just more instinctual in general about things. I just kind of... I think about I think of it as meditating about the character all the time when, uh-huh. when I'm working. Uh-huh. That's why I find it really hard not to to do more than one th- project. Right. You know, have, yeah. I'm really a one track mind. Yeah. Where even if you know I'm doing something, I'm constantly thinking about it or kind of ruminating about it. You know? Uh huh. 
and it, like so at the time you did Heart Eight and Boogie Nights and uh, and Magnolia, you guys were tight, so you had a sort of a symbiotic personal. He understood yeah. you emotionally. He understood yeah. what your limits were, and you had that dynamic going. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then other other directors, you know, like some people, you just don't know them at all, and they don't know you, and they just expect you to come in like special forces and get it done, you know? <laughs> but you can do that, right? Yeah, so with character actors, that's what you often have to do. Yeah. You know, it's not, to, it's not that it's easy, but it's a lot easier to be a leading character in a movie than it is to be a supporting character. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because when you're a leading character, you start work, you start to chip away at that character, you start yeah. to make decisions, get used to the crew, get used to the director. You might have a crappy first day, but you make it up the next day, <laughs> and you start to build this. Then all the decisions that you've made start to create the character for you. And then yeah. by the end of the shooting schedule, you're like, all right, well, <clears throat> I just have to <clears throat> stay honest to what I've done all this time. Right. You come in as a cameo or a supporting actor or character actor, whatever you want to call it, you have to be hitting the beach, running full <laughs> speed, knowing what you're doing. You only get those, you know, you might come in for three days and then seven days, two months later or something. Yeah. And you got to deliver. Yeah. And all eyes are on. You don't know anybody. Yeah. You know, you're just trying to make it work and... That's a high-pressure gig in a way, and it's much harder than slowly building something over the course right, of Right, that makes a, sense. Yeah. Right. And it's just as much character development right. as it is for a leading part, except you only have this tiny window to get it done in. <laughs> right, you better yeah. be fully formed. Yeah. Yeah, like something like uh, Cyrus or, or Good Girl, or even, I guess, in like Magnolia, where you, you, know, you really got to dug, dig in, that yeah. you, you sort of let that thing grow. Like Cyrus, you must have lived with that guy. For a while. Well, Cyrus was entirely improvised. Wow. There was a script, but we didn't do any of the dialogue of the script. Do you like that? I didn't like it on that movie, uh-huh. uh, to be honest, because um, I think the movie's very good, and I'm proud of my performance in it, but the day-to-day of it was very difficult because, you know, if there was no script, yeah. if there was nothing written, and it was just every day you'd show up like, all right, we're going to, you guys go in the room, just start talking to each other. To me, that's improv. improv. Yeah, I'm right. not intimidated by that at right, all. Right. Like, I, that's my bread and butter. You love like, that. We got nothing, let's go. Yeah. Uh, you know, but when you go in and there's all these words already written, and you know the directors are kind of like hoping things are going to mm-hmm. head in that direction. Right. And you're like, hey, wait, how do I get it to head in this direction? And but don't say these words. Yeah. I don't know. Like I get what you mean. Like they, they they know what they want, but they're not gonna really tell you. They're yeah. gonna let you bungle through it until yeah, you nail they it. They just kept saying, for go with your instinct, go with your instinct. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. My instinct is to tell the fucking story you wanna tell. You're the directors. What do you wanna do? And they were like, we're not saying. We're not saying. And it drove me really crazy. And I'm sure I wasn't the most pleasant person to deal with as a result. But Jonah and I got along really well and um He's a good guy. And we we did really well together on that movie. And the movie ended up being great. And what I didn't, t- t- like foolishly, what I didn't understand with the way the Duplass brothers work was you know, the script writing is a third of the job. The shooting of the movie is a third of the job. And then the real storytelling is the final third in the editing room where they they look at what they have and they right. make a story right like i didn't quite get that that's what was going to happen i just kept f- feeling like i'd come home from a day at work there and feel like oh my gosh we really 
did it. And so we caught lightning in a bottle that yeah. day, like, holy crap. And then other days I'd be like, that was a waste of 12 hours. <laughs> that was an embarrassing <laughs> waste of 12 hours, you know? And, and then, then they would do like a day like that. They would just take and cut it and and put music over it and make it this montage instead right. of the scene that was written, which was brilliant. You yeah, know, it was like the movie ends up really hanging together for that reason. But how often? And then you, there's times yeah. it's like imp, the type of improv. Like there's people say improv and they think it's just one thing, like make them ups or whatever. But yeah. there's all different ways to improvise in movies. One way is like the way Will Farrell and I work together, where we improvise constantly when we're coming up with the ideas for the script or writing the dialogue for the script on Talladega and Step Brothers and I wasn't involved in the writing of Talladega but we improvised a ton on set yeah on Step Brothers we 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 I we broke out the story together and I told them tons and tons of stories from my life and we just made each other laugh and wrote down kind of what we were improvising in the room right and then when we go to shoot we do the scripted version which is already very funny. Yeah. You know, as many times until we start to get bored with right. it. And then Adam will be like, just go, just say something totally different. Just do whatever you want. You yeah. Know? And then you end up coming up with these really crazy, chaotic ideas that often make the final cut of the movie. But so you have this writing that's already very inspiring to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But to come in and like have a script that you're not that excited about. And then the director go like, yeah, you know, just don't worry about those words. Just yeah. kind of, you know, improv it. And like, yeah, but I'm not really. There's nothing feeding me on the page. Why don't want to just? Why don't I just try to make this work? You know, like, instead of. So I don't know. It's it's the crazy life of an actor. It's like the first day of school over and over and over again. Right, right. Where you don't know anybody. You don't know how anyone likes to work. You you're kind of just should should have. Yeah, not, not yeah. trying to compromise your ideals, but, right? But do what people want you to do, and it's tricky. I, that's you started to ask me earlier about um, Second City. Yeah, and I went to this kind of serious acting conservatory program at DePaul. Yeah, and there was the option of doing Second City. I'm from Chicago. I knew a lot about it. Yeah, but I felt like, and I'm probably piss off a lot of your listeners who are into improv comedy, but. I felt like a lot, and I think this is still true, uh-huh. a lot of improv comedy, yeah, like Improv Olympic or, yeah. or whatever, these kind of like um, improv companies, yeah. I think there's this slavish devotion to the laugh. Yeah. And if the back of your mind, you're while you're improvising, you're thinking, we got to make this funny. It's got to be funny. Yeah. I got to think of something good here. I got to think of something funny. Then you're just, uh, it, it limits it to, it's still interesting. Limits it's, the depth sometimes. Yeah, it's like 10% yeah. of what you can do, though. Right. But if you really say 100% of the world's possibilities are on the table, really cool stuff happens in improv workshops. Yeah. Moving stuff, people crying, yeah. people getting upset, people yeah. getting angry, people attacking each other. Like All this crazy stuff can happen. And so I felt like I, wanna, I want the whole experience. Range, I don't yeah. want to just be typecast as someone who's just funny or just... You know, I I, I I felt like it was like... Uh, limiting. Yeah, it was limiting, unnecessarily limiting. And there's a lot of very talented people that work in that improv world. Sure. That that could be could be challenging themselves a lot more if they would let it get dark and let the audience just sit there and, and not be worried about whether people are being entertained all the time. You know? Yeah. Just, I, well, I think that's some of the beauty of like, uh, I, uh, like a lot of what... 
to get back to it in, in a vague way to what Tim and Eric do is that like, you know, obviously that's funny stuff, but it's profoundly disturbing and dark and deep and vulnerable and weird. And it, it they rarely go for the laugh, but the laugh finds itself. If, yeah. it, if it even is that type of comedy, it feels like comedy, but it's a lot deeper than laughing. Yeah. <laughs> it's disturbing. It's subversive. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. 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 So like when you do it, when you do like a movie, like, like uh, gangs in New York, where there's like a bit, and even Chicago, I guess, where there's costumes and it's like a big period piece and everything else. I mean, does the still being asked to improvise often? Oh, really? Yeah, with uh, Scorsese too. Well, yes. Yeah, I mean, he's he's someone who just like Paul Anderson just really loves actors. And yeah, yeah. I feel like both of those guys are somewhat mystified by actors. Like, <laughs> how are they doing this? <laughs> amazing and as an actor you love that you love someone who's mystified by what you yeah, do yeah, so yeah. it really encourages yeah. you to go for it and go watch what i do now like <laughs> yeah so uh yeah so he was you know like like any good directors yeah if a good idea presents itself or something happens accidentally or you're inspired to say something that's not written down then they immediately adopt it you know yeah and you got to work with altman before he died yeah that was that must have been wild. Yeah, that was that was probably the first time you know, ever since I was a little kid to this day it's very hard to find photographs of me where I'm not aware of the camera. Yeah. Even if I'm not looking right at the camera. Yeah. All my childhood pictures I'm like if there's like a group of kids, no one's looking. I'm yeah. the one kid looking at the camera. Like, I'm always aware of the camera. I'm always aware of like, yeah. okay, what's the what's the move here or right. whatever, you know. Right. Um, but on that one, there were so many cameras flying around. It was really the first time I had no idea where it was, and it didn't matter. Bob's like, just, just gi-. he used to say, giggle and give in. Yeah. Just giggle and give in. <laughs> I was like, where's the camera? It doesn't matter where the camera is. Just stay in it. And it's that, really liberating and very scary feeling. Yeah? Yeah. Because you're like, what if, what if you know, what if I blow it for a second, you know? like Yeah. <laughs> or what, you know, I'm picking my nose or what I don't realize it's, um, the camera's on me. I'm just standing there dead-eyed, you know, like. Yeah, but it keeps you on your toes when you when you're not sure. And the um, the like also like when you do play comedy, when you do something like um, what was it uh, walking? Talk, what is it? Walk walk, walk talk, hard. Walk hard, which is great, but you got to play that straight too, right? You can't. You're not thinking about yeah. the laugh at all, right? Yeah, you got to play it straighter than straight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the commitment to that narrative and to the, you know, the referring to yourself in third person a little bit. Is it, yeah. yeah. It was hilarious, dude. That's the first sign of mental illness, they say, is referring to yourself <laughs> in the third person. <laughs> is it? That's what somebody told me. Bruno Kirby said that. You know, the actor yeah, sure. Bruno Kirby passed sure. away. God, yeah. God bless him. You knew like, him? That's the first. Yeah, we did We're No Angels together. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, my some, God, that's right. We mutual friends, too. We're No Angels. That, who, was that De Niro in that, too? Yeah, or? De Niro, Sean Penn, Demi That Moore. was The Monks. Yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> that was my second movie? Yeah. What a fun fucking movie that was. It was a remake, too, right? Yes. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. And there, oh, that was very funny. Good for you. <laughs> You've been around a while. You have been, man. See, it worked out all right. It's worked out. That's why I don't do a lot of these kind of things. Yeah. And I think you may have asked me to do this before. Yeah, I did. And I've resisted because I knew coming in here, 
I would say more than I want to say. Because I'm just a chatty person. I, I'll just start talking. And, and I, like you say, it's going well so far. Part of the reason I feel like it's going well so far is because I have these little rules about, you know, don't talk about that. And you do? Don't let people see you like that. And, yeah. You know, like, because it's just good for business. You know, I mystery guess. is good for business. I don't, I don't get a sense. I, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not at this point in our conversation. Like, I'm not thinking. Like, I got a handle on this guy. I know where he's coming. <laughs> good, because yeah, you're still it's you're, all lies. Anyway, yeah, you're so. still pretty mysterious to me. I, you know, I, I know you're just a guy with a life, but you, you know, I, I, I like what's happening nonetheless. I forgot you were in this movie too. This, uh, the, the, the Kevin movie. Jesus Christ! We need to talk about Kevin. that. Was a yeah. fucking heavy movie. It was. Wow, do you like that was a heavy did, movie to make too? Yeah, did you like working with Tilda Swinton? She's sort of a gifted yeah. person. She's a, one of those bodhisattvas, total touched by the light sort of person. Like her, kind of, she has this expansive view of things. That yeah, really, kind of amazing. Just in, yeah. when you just talk to her. Yeah, she just, she just. I don't know. You ever meet people who are like that person knows. Yeah, some of the secrets or something they know. <laughs> yeah. They're seeing the bigger picture in yeah, a way yeah. that I'm just not seeing it. <laughs> and I'm looking at twenty percent of the frame. They're seeing the whole thing. <laughs> and I feel like Tilda's one of those people. Meryl Streep is one of those people. Like they're just, I don't know. They're just something. Yeah. I don't really believe in reincarnation or whatever. But there is something. There's a wisdom that those people had from the get go. Right. That's different than I've learned a lot of stuff over time, but those people like know something in yeah. inherently right, know? and she's just so. I mean, Tilda is so f- down to earth and funny and sexy and yeah. intelligent. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it must have been amazing just work. I mean, you must have had that experience a lot to work with people that you think are great, and just to, I've been you know. really lucky. I got really lucky on my first movie, that first movie, Casualties of War, that we started talking about. That was a great first job to get because yeah. then I then I had okay, well, I'm not going to go do like Chucky three after after that. Right, right. I got to aim a little higher because yeah. the truth is, I would have done anything at right. that point. <laughs> yeah, I just got lucky that I got cast in a movie with Sean Penn, who is a very high integrity and someone who's like a great, great actor who. You know, who showed me like this is the way you do it. This is what's important. He like, showed you all that stuff's not important. He showed me by the way he lived. By example, you know, he yeah. Me under his wing. And yeah. He, I, he was like, "What do you th- What are you going to do next? I got this movie, We're No Angels. You know, you should think about auditioning for it." I was like, "Well, I'm being offered this movie, Memphis <laughs> Bell, which is also a good movie, yeah. but you know, I'm thinking about doing that. The eight, my agent says I should do that one. And he's like, "Who?" Memphis Bell, and he's like, no, no, who said you should do it? So my agent said I should. She's like, he's like, that's the last person you should be asking for advice about what to do. <laughs> and to a twenty-two-year-old person, that was a real shocker because that was getting an agent was like a big thing to right. me. I thought, I'm set. That's what you do. You yeah, talk to your agent, yeah, and they figure yeah. it out. And he was right. <laughs> that is the last person you should be asking for advice about whether you should do something. Yeah. Now that person can really help you get the the money you should be getting. Yeah. They sh- they can help you the be, parts you want to get treated the way you yeah. want to be treated once you get the job. But in terms of which job, one over the other, they are the last person you should be asking. You know? Yeah, yeah. You really yeah. have to ask yourself, and you have to ask people 
who are also artists that you respect. Yeah, and he you learned that right then. Yeah. That was a good lesson to learn early yeah, on. I got lucky. Yeah, and you did a lot of great stuff. So when you say um like like you're aware of of the title of character actor, you know. And there's this, and I find that that those actors are usually the the most interesting and the most memorable. Well, it's really it's an outdated term. It's it, kind of. It's a studio term from the old days of studio. You know, it's like, you know, they right the way they would kind of categorize you. I mean, the truth is, like, I think Leo DiCaprio is a character actor. Uh huh. You know, uh, a lot of these guys that play leads in movies are character actors. Right. They're, they're transformational actors. You know, like I don't think Michael Caine's a character actor. Michael Caine is an exceptionally talented actor who kind of plays the same same close to what i imagine his personality is you know i know but i thought that about you too but i think you're wrong right (laughs) (laughs) i think yeah whatever i have similarities to michael ken in that how much i work in the kind of workhorse actor that i am whatever but but um I don't think you go into well. I hope I hope you don't go into a movie that I'm in thinking like, I know what I'm getting here. Oh no, classic Riley performance. You well, know, you, like, well, that would just mean good. I think character actors are people. Yeah, a good that, performance that that submerge their own personalities in service of the character. Mm-hmm. And then there's other great great actors who do who play some version of their personality over and over, and the and the character comes to them. Mm-hmm. The movie comes to the way. Who's an they example are. of that? Like George Clooney, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, you know, um, Harrison Ford. I think right. is like that. Yeah. Or, you know, just these guys are super, super talented. But, but they've they're lucky enough to have made a career where the character comes to them. The, right. The story comes to them as opposed to them fitting themselves into something. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think of myself as someone who fits into what's there. Yeah, you, you make know, your as opposed you... to, like, look, folks, this is the way John Riley works. John Riley does not wear that color. And John Riley likes a breakfast burrito at eight fourteen. Thank you. I was. I'm sad you didn't bring guitar. I thought maybe we'd sing. I'm sad you don't. You have a guitar. I got right? plenty of guitars. What do you like to play? Blues. We country. <clears throat> I have a bluegrass. Not bluegrass. It's more like folk Americana. For all yeah. I hate that term. Yeah. Because there's lots of things that are American, but um, we play old classic melodies from the Tree of Song. Oh yeah, bluegrass, folk yeah. music, and country music primarily. Oh, that's great. Me and a couple other people, and we it's, it's sometimes as many as eight people, oftentimes just three or four. Oh, that sounds do great. Do a lot of close harmony singing. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that must be like a nice thing. Like I, I love to play. I don't play with people a lot. You know, sometimes I do, but I play a lot. And uh, but it, it's so nice to to be sitting with a group of people playing music. And having that for me is a, it gives me something to do that I really believe in. Yeah. In between jobs, so I don't take things that because I want to work that right. are not good jobs to take music you know? does that for you yeah music keeps you doing things that you love to do as opposed to i don't know acting can be a really high burnout job if you take things that you don't believe in you can make you ill it hurts you yeah it takes away chips away at your soul and yeah you just i don't know you get lost you lose yourself it's that old native american thing of like they didn't like their picture taking because they thought right. 
taking but, some part yeah. of yourself. I think there is something to that. Right, if it's the wrong cameraman or director. <laughs> or even if it's the right one. You're yeah. slowly giving parts of yourself away, you know? Uh-huh. Just like this stupid interview we just did. <laughs> That's a fine way to end. I love it. No. It was great talking to you. Thank you. And did you have a good time at least? Yeah, I had a great time. I would I would I almost wish it wasn't recorded. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it wasn't going to be shared with millions of people that you and I just had this conversation, but Yeah. Maybe people listening to it will have a virtual experience like we've just had. Yeah, I hope so. I that would be that would be nice. And eventually they'll have the technology. Thanks, John. Thank you. How fun was that? I love that guy. John C. Riley. Go see The Lobster. Watch, check it out with Dr. Steve Brule on uh, Adult Swim. Go see any of his movies, any of the old ones. He's, he's great. As always, go to WTFPod.com. You can order a poster, get a T-shirt. You can check my tour dates. You can see the episode guide if you're wondering if somebody that you're a fan of has been on the show. Am I going to play guitar? Is that That's the question. Where am I at time-wise? Huh, maybe I can. <laughs> 